0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I'm Kaylee. I'm an intern here on staff this year with The Inn, which is the greatest job ever. Um, and I come from Colorado. I'm the only one who's not from Colorado, or not from Washington. Um, and I love Seattle, but Colorado is my home. So when Katie was up here about two months ago talking to you guys, she showed this adorable baby picture of herself, and she kind of issued this challenge amongst the interns to have the cutest baby picture. So, I decided to indulge you all with a picture. This was <laughs> me on my third birthday. So I think um, around my third birthday, how's that? Um, like I said, I came from Colorado. Um, I grew up with a really great family. They're really weird, a little bit overwhelming, but I love them. Uh, we like to do really strange things together, like dress up like the Incredibles and run 10-mile races. So that was my family. It's my brother, Grant, and my dad, Jack, and my mom, Debbie. I'm really close to them, and they are very strange if you ever get the pleasure of meeting them. Uh, I went to a huge state school, like a lot of you who go to UW. Went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. It's a beautiful Boulder right there. Uh, I miss it some days, but um, college was great. I absolutely loved it. I spent a lot of my time there going to football games, cheering for our awful football team who cannot win more than one game in a season, but they beat in Boazoo, so woohoo! Um... <laughs> On the only game we won all year, but yeah, college was awesome. I got to meet a lot of friends and probably not study quite as hard as I should have. And um, I spent a lot of time volunteering with my college ministry there as well. So another thing you guys should know about me is that I love to travel. Travel is a huge part of my life and I've been really blessed to have seen as much of the world as I have for being 22. I've gotten to go to Mexico and Canada, Italy, Spain, and Australia with my family. And I've also been to New Zealand and then Belize on a mission trip. So I've been really blessed to do that. And I also am going to the DR for spring break. So here for everyone going to the DR. Woo-hoo! All right, so moving on, um, now that you guys know a little bit about me, I'm going to pray and then we can get started for tonight. Uh, God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for bringing us to a place where we get to worship you, and we get to wrestle you before, just before you freely, and that we get to sit here um, and just be in awe of your presence. I'm thankful that you love us for exactly where we're at, and that we don't have to be anything for you except for ourselves. I pray that the words that I speak tonight would just be pleasing and glorifying to you. So help us lay all of our other commitments and distractions aside and focus on you here and now. Be with us tonight. I'm in. All right. So for those of you who are new to the inn this week or haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Philippians. And Philippians is actually a letter, and it's written by this guy named Paul. And Paul was, he was a friend of Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus. Um, so he knows him pretty well. And Paul is writing this letter From prison. So, why is Paul in prison? That's kind of weird. So, Paul's been imprisoned because he has been preaching the word of Jesus. And I think it's important to notice his perseverance and just his joy in that, and that he's in prison for preaching about Jesus, and yet he continues to do it from there. So, this letter is written to this church community that he helped found in Philippi. So, let's take a look at what Paul has to say in Philippians 3. All right. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. All right, so that's a lot of text. So I'm going to try to break it down the best I can for you guys. So I think the first thing that is important for us to notice is that Paul says in verse one, he says, rejoice. Honestly, what does Paul have to be rejoicing about? He's in prison. I'm sure he's not living a very luxurious lifestyle, but I think that he's calling the Philippians to be joyful solely because they know Christ and that it doesn't matter what our outward circumstances are, but that we find joy in Christ. So Paul goes on in verse three, and he says, those who truly believe in Jesus Christ do not put their confidence in the flesh, but they were to serve God by his spirit. So if we're not, ser- if we're not putting our confidence in flesh, what are we putting our confidence in? Um, and I think that Jesus calls us to put our confidence in faith. So what is faith then? Um, in Hebrews, Paul writes that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So Paul's giving us quite the challenge here. I think he's saying we can put our trust in the faith, or in the flesh, and in in flesh he's meaning in worldly things, and things that we can see, tangible things. Or we can choose to go the hard route, and we can put our faith in these unseen things, and put our faith in the Spirit, and worship God in that way. And that if we're truly following Jesus, that's what we're supposed to be doing. But it's So much easier, so much easier for us to trust these things, these worldly things that are in front of us, isn't it? Because when we can use these worldly things that are in front of us, we can control them and manipulate them to get us to this end goal that we want to be at. We can see the direct results of what we're doing. Just take studying, for example. So if you study really hard, you know that you're going to get good grades, which can get you that internship, which can get you a job, which can get you all this money, right? We can trust those things. Or we can eat a certain diet, we can exercise in a certain way so that we can look a certain way, or we can act a certain way and talk a certain way so that we fit in with our peers. It's so much easier for us to sit here and trust these things that are in front of us because we can control them. But how often is it that we trust these, the flesh or we trust these worldly things and that we get to this end goal and that it's not everything we thought it was? I think so many times we trust those things and we put our confidence in those things and we get there and it doesn't give us this joy that it's supposed to or that we thought that it would. Or maybe it does sometimes for this fleeting moment We're like, yes, we finally got there. I finally got that job and it makes me so happy, but it can't sustain us. And after a while, we're back to chasing the next thing, the bigger thing, the next job or the next diet or the next fashion trend that's going to make us fit in or bring us that joy. And I think that that's why Paul calls us to not put our faith in worldly things, because he knows that it can't sustain us in the way that God can. And I'm just as guilty as anyone of putting my confidence in worldly things. Um, When I was in high school, that kind of was my world. I was living the teenage dream. Um, When I was in high school, I was the homecoming queen, and I was the valedictorian, and I was the senior class treasurer, and I was the cross-country captain, and I was the high school sweethearts, and I had all these things going for me. And to an extent, yeah, they made me happy. But I also was terrified of this. If I couldn't continue to juggle all these things in my life, if I dropped one of them for one second, that I'd be completely inadequate. And I was terrified of that. Um, And my identity got so wrapped up in all of those things that when they all came crashing down, I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, And that did happen. At the end of high school, my world just kind of fell apart, and it was, it was horrible. And I lost a lot of friends, and I broke up with my boyfriend who had been dating for the last four years, and I was just broken. And all those things that I had trusted in, all those worldly things had just completely failed me. Um, so I think that's why Paul calls us, and he says, we can't put our confidence in, these, in the flesh, in these worldly things, because they can't sustain us. But Jesus calls us to put our faith in him. And he says, if you put your faith in me, I'm going to give you things that you can't imagine. And I'm going to give you a foundation that can stand the test of time and trial versus these worldly things that can't. Um, So let me find my spot here. Okay, so Paul keeps going. And he says that if anyone should put confidence in the flesh, it's him. So why Paul? Paul has all these outward characteristics that he lists in Philippians 3, um, that say he's circumcised on the eighth day, and he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, and he's a member of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he has all these outward characteristics that people in his day kind of equated to this religious superiority, or um, automatic closeness with God. And so he, he says, I should be able to put confidence in those things. I have all the things that should make you this Christian person. Regardless of how I'm acting. And yet, he wasn't that great of a Christian. Um, before he knew Jesus, Paul was actually one of the Pharisees, and Pharisees are just Jewish religious leaders of the law. So he was a Pharisee who was sentencing people to death for proclaiming that Jesus Christ was Lord. Like he was breaking one of the Ten Commandments, and it was justified solely because he had these outward characteristics that people said, oh, you have those things, and you're automatically close with God, and you're automatically faithful. But he was doing all these things that didn't equate with that. So it sounds ridiculous, right? Paul wasn't being obedient to God at all. So why should his actions be justified by these outward characteristics? And yet, when I take a step back from my own life, I'm not sure that I'm that much different from Paul. I think that so often it's so easy to justify the things that we're doing. Um... I've heard so many times, and I myself have said these things of something like, well, I've read my Bible every day this week, so if I go out and drink tonight, it's really not that big of a deal. Or I've already committed myself to Christ, but I really, really love my boyfriend, and we're going to get married anyways, so I'm going to have sex with him. And why is it that this obedience to God ends up warranting and justifying our bad behavior? What it ends up doing is just creating this divide in our life, we end up having These areas of our life, like Tuesdays that we reserve for the inn, or maybe 30 minutes in the morning where we read our Bible. And then we have these other areas of our life where we purposely try to keep God out. And I think it just, it creates this divide in our life. And we have our feet planted in two different worlds. Um, And for a while, it's fine. We can stand there. But then we start to realize that those things directly contradict each other. And it ends up looking a little bit like this. Oh, 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 my back! <laughs> you guys all also know that I love Disney movies, and I may or may not have been the person who made my family dress up like the Incredibles in that picture you guys saw earlier. But, okay, it seems a little weird, but isn't this how our life is? So we feel like we're Mr. Incredible, and we can live in these two worlds that are completely separate. We have our God world, and we have our everything else world. And we're standing there, and it's great, and then something happens, like his back going out. And we're in this absolute agony of being like, which way do I go? I have to choose one. And meanwhile, the whole time, the rock's splitting between our feet, and we have to decide which way are we going to go. You can't stand in two worlds forever, and that those things, because they contradict each other so much, are sliding apart. Um, I told you guys earlier how after high school, my world just kind of fell apart. And I entered college um, in a really vulnerable and just broken state, and it was really hard um, I didn't have friends around me anymore who understood me in a way that they had in high school. I didn't have my family who had been my foundation right down the hall from me. And I was still healing from this breakup. And I realized that people in college just didn't really care who I was in high school. They didn't care that I was the homecoming queen. They didn't care about any of those accomplishments and I didn't know who I was without those things. And so it was a really rough transition for me. Um, but. Fortunately for me, God kind of found me in the middle of that mess, and he placed people in my life who started bringing me to the annex, which is pretty much the exact same as the inn, um, but it's just in Colorado. So I started going to the annex, and it was the place for the first semester of school for me that I felt the most at home. And I felt whole there, and I felt like that was where I was supposed to be. And I was captivated by God's love for me. It was the first time I'd really experienced that. Um, And I was captivated, but I wasn't sold. And on the weekends, I was still drinking, and I was not treating my friends in all of that Christ-like of a way. And I was still looking for guys to build up my self-worth because they liked me. And I was kind of in this similar predicament as Mr. Incredible and probably a lot of you, where we've got two feet planted in these worlds that don't really line up together. Um, And that all changed for me when I decided to go on a mission trip to Belize over my spring break of my freshman year. And Belize just changed everything for me. Um, It was the first place that I really saw a Christian community and a community that was founded and rooted in love and respect for one another. It was the first place that I started to accept God's love and his grace for me. And it was the first place that people prayed over me and really encouraged me in my pursuit of Christ. And when I got back from Belize, I realized that I couldn't stand in two worlds anymore and that I was going to have to make a decision. Um, And I decided to go all in, and I decided to give Jesus a real chance at transforming my life. And the second that I started to surrender to those worldly things that had had so much power over my life in the past, I felt joy. And it wasn't this kind of joy that I felt when I got nominated for homecoming queen. It was this joy that was true and that came from the Lord. But I had to go and I had to pursue him wholeheartedly instead of half-heartedly. And that's where this Mr. Incredible thing comes back in. I felt like, I felt victorious. And I felt like he did when the machine pulls him apart, pulls him apart, sorry, and his back goes back in. And I was like, yes, I finally get this. This is awesome. But I had to decide to pursue him wholeheartedly. And you guys get that decision if you want to do that. So let's look back at verse 8. It says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I promise you that there's nothing in this world that is better than knowing Jesus at all. There's no sum of money, there's no accomplishment, there's no tangible thing that you can get that is better than knowing him. And I know that to be true in my own life, and so does Paul. Remember that Paul was a Pharisee. And so as a Pharisee, in his time, he had honor, and he had power, and he had respect. And aren't those the things that this world tells us are going to bring us joy? Aren't those the things that we're searching for when we put our faith in, in worldly things? And yet he voluntarily gave up all of those things so that he could follow Christ. He gave them up knowing that he was going to go to prison. And he didn't care. He knew that knowing Jesus was better than that. And thankfully for me, I didn't end up in prison for going all in with Jesus. Um, But I'd be lying to you guys if I didn't lose some things. I lost this desire to have these surface-level relationships with people that were centered around alcohol. Um... I lost this pursuit to have my self-worth be found in guys who honestly just didn't really care about me. And I did lose some friends who just couldn't understand this new sense of freedom that I'd found in knowing Christ. But what I gained out of pursuing Jesus was so much more. I gained a community of 50 people who were committed to to encouraging me in my pursuit of Christ. And I gained confidence in knowing that there's an unfailing love for me no matter what I do. And I gained healing from brokenness that I didn't even know I had. But mostly I gained this solid place to land that I know isn't isn't gonna split between my feet like it did before. But I had it I had to decide to pursue and I had to go all in. But let's look at the end of Paul's letter. Keep going. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ." All right, so again, I can identify with Paul here. I don't stand before you guys knowing exactly how to pursue Jesus. I'm not perfect in my pursuit, and I have days where I fall and I stumble hard. But I'm trying, and I'm straining forward, and I'm pursuing him with everything that I've got. But it wasn't always that way. Um, I definitely messed it up a couple of times. And sometimes af- sometime after I decided that I was gonna go on with Jesus, I, my Christian high, as I like to call it, kind of wore off. And I started questioning. I was like, where is this God that claims that he loved me, that I gave my life up for, because I felt alone, and I felt like he was in some alternate universe as far away from me as he possibly could. It took me the better part of a year to figure out that I'd stopped pursuing God. God had never stopped pursuing me, but I had just stopped. And this pursuit of God that I had tried, you know, that I had started with good intentions, had turned into this checklist of things that I felt like I needed to do to be a Christian. So I was reading my Bible. I read it every single morning, but not once was I ever trying to apply the scripture to my life and seeing how it would affect me if I did. And I was in a core group, but I was never engaged in conversation. I was never willing to be open enough and vulnerable, vulnerable enough to actually get something out of it. And I said that I would pray for my friends in the midst of their struggles, but I rarely followed through. I just stopped pursuing God altogether. And faith is an active process. We can't just sit back and expect that it's going to happen to us. I think that we constantly have to be straining ahead and moving ahead and pushing ourselves, just like Paul calls us to. And a lot of that is making yourself uncomfortable. And the world says, all the time, instant gratification and make yourself as comfortable as you can. But Jesus says, make yourself uncomfortable because when we're uncomfortable, we're in a situation where God, we need God to show up. He better show up because it's awkward if he doesn't and it sucks. So I think it's this constant pursuit of the uncomfortable. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that means being vulnerable in your core group for the first time instead of holding back or maybe that means defending your faith to some of your friends who constantly make fun of you for it. Or maybe that's going to a party sober and having to explain to people why. But I don't know what it looks like for you, and it might not be any of those things. But we have to constantly pursue something that's uncomfortable. So when I realized that I was stuck, that I had stopped pursuing God, and I was kind of stagnant in my faith, I realized that I needed to make myself uncomfortable. Um, and that uncomfortable place for me was New Zealand. Um, And I decided to study abroad. And most people go into study abroad thinking, this is going to be great. I'm so excited to be away from home and meet new people and see new things. And that just wasn't how I felt at all. Um, I felt like God was holding my hand and dragging me while I dug my heels in. And I honestly went into that experience expecting it to be hell, which is ridiculous. But that, for me, New Zealand was the most uncomfortable place I could have been. Uh, I was 7,500 miles away from home for six months with no way to get back. Um, And so that was uncomfortable. And I was away from my family and away from my boyfriend and away from this community that I just depended on on a daily basis to sustain me. And I didn't have those things there. So I didn't really have a choice. I had to expect God to show up and I had to lean into his promises for me, and I had to know that he loves me enough and knows my heart and knows what I need. Um, And during that time, God didn't just show up. God honestly blew me out of the water in the ways that he provided for me and he showed his love for me. Um, I had an awesome group of friends who were Christians who pushed me and encouraged me and traveled with me around the whole country. And I, I got this new sense of confidence in being alone that I'd never had before. And I got visits from my family and from my boyfriend. But the thing that I got the most was I got this affirmation that pursuing him wholeheartedly is worth it. It's always worth it. And when we pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, when we strain ahead without looking back, we make ourselves uncomfortable, Jesus is going to show up. I promise you that he's going to show up, and he promises you that he's going to show up. And he doesn't show up, just show up. He gives us more than we could possibly imagine. Um, C.S. Lewis said that there are far better things ahead than we leave behind. And I know that to be true in my own life. Um, New Zealand for me was the experience that taught me how much God's love is for me, how deep it is, how wide it is, and that he knows me better than anyone could. Um, It was wonderful, but it was hard, and I had to put myself in that really awkward place of not knowing anything, and not knowing what was gonna happen. But I pursued him, and ever since then, I've been pursuing him as hard as I can, and that's how I got here. And being in this internship is the best blessing in the world. Um, I get to work with all of you, and I get to work with an awesome staff, and I get to learn what it means to follow Jesus every single day. And that's awesome. And maybe pursuing him for you looks completely different. And that's great. But you have to pursue him wholeheartedly and not half heartedly. So I challenge you guys. I challenge you guys tonight to pursue him with your whole heart instead of the half hearted thing you may have been doing. And to just really dive in, go all in without hesitation, and know that God's going to show up because he loves you. There's no end to his love for you. So. I'm gonna wrap up, but before I do, I need everyone to stand up. Okay, so now that you guys are up, um, don't jump until the count of three, but if you are willing to pursue Jesus and to go forward and to strain ahead, I want you to give me your best kangaroo jump. And if you're not, that's okay, just pretend. Um, All right. Ready? (laughs) One, two, three. (laughs) Okay, you guys can sit back down. (laughs) Okay, so, so why did I tell you guys to jump like a kangaroo rather than a frog or a rabbit or anything else that hops? Did you guys know that kangaroos physically cannot move backwards? Like, they cannot move backwards. So, you guys have already taken the first leap towards pursuing Jesus, and I want you guys to keep going and not give up. So, I'm going to pray, and then the band is going to come up and give you guys some time to reflect. So, will you guys bow your heads and pray with me? God, thanks for tonight. Thanks for laughter and for fun and just the ways that you delight our heart. Um, I'm thankful for the ways that you've shown up in my own life, and the risks that I've taken, and, and that you have shown up. And I pray for these students who are willing to pursue you, and I just pray that you show up and you manifest your love for them in ways that they could never imagine. Uh, thank you for the ways that you that you're here, and that we can feel your spirit. Um, I thank you for tonight. You know we pray. Amen.